19 and 16 and following. Could you stand if you're physically able? If you're physically able, stand with me as we read from God's precious word. 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we'd have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's dip into chapter 2 for a moment. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. That's the word of living God. Please be seated. Thank you for standing. Last week, this is the second part of a two-part message, the sure word, the sure word. And last week we went and looked at this and we discovered something, uh, or looked at something that just is an incredible, incredible, incredible truth laid down here by Peter in this passage. And we talked about the fact and reflected on the fact that when he's talking about this event, when he gives this eyewitness account of seeing Jesus in all of His glory, he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, on that mountain, you recall, Jesus had just told the disciples that some of you are going to live to see the kingdom of God. And they're going, well, wait, you know what? He ain't come yet. So what does He mean by that? And we learn from that that the kingdom is not a time frame, it's not an epic, it's not a geographical location, it's somebody. The kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. And so he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and fulfilled exactly what he said he was going to fulfill to them, and they let them see his kingdom, and it's him. And so he 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 uh, takes off the 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 the, the human um, humanity that he was clothed with because he's every bit God and every bit man, and they got to see him in all his glory. And there he's standing there with Elijah and Moses, and we know that that represents what the Old Testament. That's right, the Law and the Prophets, which is the Old Testament. And we're talking about them not on equal footing, but standing there to show and give testimony to the fact that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ every bit of it. And so there he stands with the Old Testament, with the revelation of the Old Testament, which is God's Son and His way of salvation, which is through. The Lamb of God, who is the Son of God, His name is Jesus Christ. And He goes through there and gives us that uh, that account. And He's an eyewitness. He's there with Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the twelve. And He's on the holy mountain, He calls it. He's holy because Jesus is there. And He says this. This is, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. We handed out last week, you'll remember, uh, index cards. And ask every one of you, I gave you a pen. And ask every one of you to write down this phrase in the translation of the King James Version because it's the most accurate one. 
And the phrase that he gave in verse 19 is best translated. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. You remember that's what we asked you to write down on the index cards. If you weren't here last week, write that down. Get, get some mascara or lipstick if you're a lady or a pen or something and, uh, and write that down, if you will, please. Put it in the margin of your Bible somewhere. That, that, that's a big deal. And we explained and shared last week why it was. It says, King James Version, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. And what he's saying right there is this. Huge, huge principle in understanding the Word of God and our faith. And that is this. Even though you have my eyewitness account, you're better off to go with the Bible. And at that point right there, he showed us something that we need to all remember. And that is that the Word of God does not exalt experience over truth. It's the other way around. And he's saying, even though I've given you an eyewitness account, I was there and I wouldn't lie to you. You're better off to go with the Word, the prophetic Word. Now, what I, what I saw was confirmation of the prophetic Word. But that's the way experiences are to be evaluated. Not based on results, not based on feelings, not based on emotions, not based on whether or not they seem to be successful or not, not based on objectives, but an experience is to be assayed and tested by the Word of God. And if that experience does not line up with the Word of God, then you throw it away because it's not from the Son of God. If you've got a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, uh, The Purpose Driven Life is absolutely replete with error. I would recommend that you get rid of it. I don't think you should give it to somebody else though. Don't give it to somebody else. Just discard it. Throw it away. Rip it to shreds. Because on one part of the book, in the opening chapter, it says that God uses your experience more than His Word to shape you. Now that flies in the face of this. That's why people like that can get away with that. Is because we as a church will take anything that's pitched to us, especially if it seems to be successful, and we'll often say, well that sounds good, but we don't take the time to measure it with the Word of God. That is not true. God does not use your experiences to shape you more than He does your word, His Word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Those in that ilk would downsize and diminish the power of God's Word and the gift that we've gotten from that in church culture nowadays is, is that we feel like that we've got to argue toe-to-toe with people who doubt God's Word using something that other than God's Word. Don't forget this. The gospel is not an argument. The gospel is not a debate. The gospel is not a discussion. The gospel is a declaration. A couple of weeks ago, Catherine and I, the, with, with that wounded hero uh, race, and I didn't run. I just watched them run. Felt better. And so we got through and we went over to the, uh, to, after it was over with, and we were just hanging around. And Catherine has a friend who is uh, he's, uh, Hindu. And uh, so he's, uh, he's standing over there, and she knows him through our, some of the running things we do, a thing called Kilometer Kids and Kennesaw. And she said, Daddy, there's, uh, there's, there he is over there, named his name, and said, uh, let's go over and share the gospel with him. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. So we went over there, and we were started sharing with him. And he said, listen, he, think, he said, I think it's stupid to believe in God and believe in judgment and all the things that you, know, you all believe in. I think it's stupid to believe the Bible. We think that's stupid. That didn't insult me. Lost people act. Lost people act lost. 
You know, you can't insult me. I'm dead. Okay, and so, uh, and so I, I didn't, I didn't get argumentative or like this. You know how we'll do. You know, we act like a bunch of babies. You know, I, hey, listen, God doesn't need to be defended. The Word of God doesn't need to be defended. The Spurgeon said it's like a lion; just let it loose. Amen. And listen, so so we're standing there talking, and let me let me tell you what happened. This is interesting. I said after the natural after I said, Catherine, did you just see what happened? I said, and so he went through all of that. We believe in reincarnation, and we believe that you're reincarnated. We believe that somebody dies, and when you die, then you're reincarnated and you become something else. But when you become whatever you become, you lose all memory of what you once were. It, I was so tempted to say. Well, how do you know then that you could be reincarnated if you lose every memory? You got no witness of somebody who's that's happened to. But I didn't do that. You know, I wasn't trying to shame him. I didn't do that. I said, let me ask you a question. The Bible says it's appointed in a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. When you stand in front of God in judgment one day, is the verdict going to be guilty or innocent? And he completely threw off all of that Hindu stuff and started talking to me on that line and started asserting that he thinks he's good enough to stand judgment. That's not the issue. The issue is this. I didn't argue with him about Hinduism. I don't know enough about Hinduism to argue with him about it. All I know is about Jesusism. And I started talking to him about the Scriptures and he abandoned all his Hindu theology. He did not... He threw that away and talked as if everything he said that was stupid for us to believe, he knows in his heart. See, there's a whistleblower. The Scriptures are a whistleblower. You believe in God and you have a conscience. And because you have a conscience and you know God is through creation, it's not that you don't believe in Him. You're just suppressing what you believe in Him because you enjoy your sin. And so God blows the whistle on that. So in our DNA is embedded in there the fact that we know that eternity's coming, there is judgment, and we're going to be accountable for how we live. We know that. We have a conscience. God gave it to us. And we no longer, we didn't say a word about reincarnation. I didn't say a word about the folly of all of that. And we went straight to the Bible. And I'm, I love to say he bowed down and repented. He didn't. But he might one day. But the bottom line is, is what I'm saying is, is what we're doing is, is we're talking to people and we're conceding our power. Our power is this. This is a living word. It is, it is able to parse through all the assertions that are false. It's able to get right to the issue. It gets us right to the issue. Make a beeline to the cross. All the other stuff is just a bunch of distractions. And he's saying this. You go with the word. Don't go with feelings. Don't go with any other thing. You go with the Word. Even my eyewitness account of what I heard there is inferior to the Word. Even though this wound up in the Word, he's saying, let's ratchet it up. And so because of the culture that we're in, we're conceding our power because we've conceded our faithfulness to the Word. An incredible Christian leader, and I've shown you many of the videos of while, just a couple of weeks ago said the foundation of our faith is not an infallible Bible. What? Well, what is it then? What is it? The Bible says that Jesus exalts His Word above His name. He exalts His Word above His name. Let me tell you something right now. You want to offend somebody? Quick count. You know, if you, if you try to be a person of integrity and somebody casts doubt on something you said, that's highly offensive. And we're fallen men and women. What do you think God 
How do you think God's disposition is toward that? And so he, he gave us a word. And He said, you'll do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. We need to turn on the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And if a man who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. And so we, the, 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 the only way to illuminate the dark world and the polluted whirlwind is through the Word of God. Until one day the day dawns, which is His coming, and the morning star rises in your heart. We talked about that morning star. It's talking about planet Venus. And it's a mortgage. It comes up in the morning. It precedes the morning sun as it comes up. And it brightens up and lets us know there's a dawning of a new day. And one day, and we celebrate the fact that Jesus said, oh, what love has been lavished upon us so we should be called the children of God. And I don't know what we'll be like, but I know this, we'll be like Him because we're going to see Him as He is. And the only way to see Him as He is is to become as He is. And so that's why there's such an aversion to this book. Because this book claims Jesus alive. And if Jesus is alive, you've got to die. And we want an amalgamated Christianity that says, I can live and so can Jesus. We want salvation on our terms and we want it our way. We recognize the need of it, but we just want to do it differently. Because after all, somebody's got to give. Somebody's got to concede. Can't everybody be God? That's salvation. I mean, that's South Georgia for meaning not everyone can be God. And so we've got to concede. And so, so he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That means this. It doesn't mean, in the sense of interpretation, it doesn't mean how you interpret or understand Scripture. It means origin. Origin. What that means is what he's saying is this. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private origin. It did not originate from men. We, were, we reflected on it before that surely one of the reasons why you can believe the record of the Old Testament about Israel is if, is if they had written it, they would have covered up all their flaws. But yet it's all there for us to see. If a king commissioned somebody to write about his rule, he wouldn't include murder and adultery. It wouldn't include rebellion. It wouldn't include all the flaws that we see. They're all in there for all of us to see. Because why? It originated from God. For no prophecy, no word from God, came by the will of man. That's not the origin. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's what, the, here's what he's saying. Prophecy did not come or originate from men or their, their sinful wills. But men, holy, separate, marked out men that God specifically moved upon. Quite the contrary, that but means quite the contrary. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This came from God. And in this, we have the mind of God. Isn't that something? Have you ever, have you ever been around somebody that doesn't talk a lot? and you have a close relationship with them, and you just want to get inside their mind. What are you thinking? That drives me nuts. What are you thinking? Tell me what you're thinking. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? And you just want to know, what is behind all that? What's behind that smile? What's behind those tears? What's behind your disposition? What's behind a stoic look? What's behind it? 
Spencer's over there trying to figure out which one of these guys is listening to me. And the body language didn't always in, in, in indicate that, but I appreciate that sleep thing, Spencer. That's good to know. That's encouraging. Break up. Hallelujah. Um, but uh, it, we have the mind of God. Can you imagine? We have the mind of God. You will say, God, how, what do you think about this? And then we go to the Bible and we say, this is what God thinks about that. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Matter of fact, the Bible says, look at it in 1 Corinthians 2, if you will. Go, back, go to the left, if you will. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 13. Let's go back to 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. I hear that a lot read at funerals. Have you ever heard that read at a funeral? The older you get, the more of you go to. And I've heard that a lot in funerals. I has not seen it. There's nothing wrong with that, but the, part of the, the thing about it is keep, keep on reading. But God has revealed them to us. That's not for the sweet by and by. That's for the nasty now and now. We have revelation right now. God's revealed it to us. We get it up front through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. If you came into a, a big inheritance and you didn't know about it, and then suddenly you found out about it, you wouldn't just go, well, I'm not worried about the details. You go, what? What was it? Was it property? Uh, liquid assets, stocks, bonds? Uh, you know, And you want a detailed listing in the county. Make sure that you get what's... This is our inheritance, what's freely been given to us through Jesus Christ. I don't see anything bad in it about what God has for His children. I don't see anything that's negative or, or discouraging. Matter of fact, it's all good news, every bit of it. That's why the gospel is called good news. And it's been freely given to us by God. These things will also speak, not in the words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Why? The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. It's the only way to know the mind of God is the Spirit has to be the Spirit of a man's only way a man's mind is made known. The Holy Spirit makes the mind of God known. And the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And the Bible says that God moved upon holy men to write ahead of themselves. He, they wrote ahead of themselves. They didn't see all we're bound to with human authors, authors is either to comment on the past or to make uh, commentary on the present. But nobody can make commentary on the future except the authors of the Bible. They wrote beyond themselves. That's what that means. It's no private interpretation. And they wrote beyond themselves. They wrote of things to come. And really, they wrote of the One to come. And His name is Jesus Christ. And all according to the plan and purpose of God, He came. Now why do we want to concede that? Just some nuts and bolts information. Just interesting. Nuts and bolts information. I emailed this other day to somebody. The Bible's a collection of 66 books. 
individual books that make one book containing different genres of poetry, history, prophecy, wisdom, literature, letters, and um, ap um, apocalyptic writings. These 66 were books were written by 40 authors from diverse backgrounds. Amazingly, these 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. The authors did not collaborate with one another in writing these books, and most of them didn't even know each other. They live at the same time. These books were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and reflected a variety of historical circumstances in which they were written. They were written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. In spite of the above fa facts, these collection of books, known as the Canons of Scripture, all have a common storyline about creation, the fall, God's redemptive love, and many other themes in which there is no contradiction whatsoever. One quarter of these 66 books contains prophecies predicting specific events and detailed precision, and whenever archaeologists have dug up evidence, the Bible has proven 100% accurate and skeptics to be wrong. The challenge for any skeptic is to go to any library and find 66 books that even come close to rivaling the Bible. Choose any 66 books by 40 different authors written over the course of 1,500 years, written in three different languages, composed from three different continents while predicting futuristic events in perfect detail and with the requirement of sharing the same common theme, the same central message without any historical error or contradictions. If you were to describe such to any reasonably minded person, they would most likely reply, that is impossible. Yet that is the uniqueness of the Bible and the greatness of our God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's the Word of God. And to neglect it and to downsize it and to trivialize it and for people to take it and twist it and do all the nasty things they do with it and to ignore it and even to take Jesus' name and do things in His name that are totally contrary to it is a sham and a disgrace. And it means that when that happens in habitual, unrepentant fashion, it means that there is no fear of God in that person or ministry. That's what it means. It's exactly what it means. There's no other way to shake it out. This is the Word of the living God. The Apostle Paul said this. You know what? If you, We've talked about this before, and I, just, I don't think it's tongue-in-cheek. I, I don't think it's nuanced. I don't think it's silly. I don't think it's not worthy of our attention. But really think about it. Really think about it for a minute. If you were to have lunch with Lazarus, and you spent any more time with him beyond one minute, I know the fact that he was raised from the dead would come up in the conversation. Let me ask you a question. Is he any different than you and I? You know what the Bible says about us before we got saved? It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he hath made us alive. If you're saved, that means you were once lost. And when you got saved, you made alive. You tell me the difference between that and Lazarus. And the Apostle Paul said this. To the Ephesian elders, Therefore, as he's about to leave, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which are among you, which the Holy Spirit has, has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, which he purchased with His own blood. My blood, your blood is not on my hands because I told you the whole truth. I, heard, I told you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's straight from God's Word. Not opinion, innuendo, speculation, or feelings. Revealed, objective truth. I shared every bit of it with you. From pillar to post, I didn't hold back. We didn't parse out things to say, well, maybe the creation story might be true, may not. Who cares? It's the central. Come on. Come on. It's either the Word of God, you either are expecting a baby or you're not. But you can't be halfway. Either this is the Word of God or it's not. And it is. And we've lost our confidence in it. God, take one verse and take a monk, a Catholic monk, who is killing himself, killing himself to make himself worthy for God, trying to appease his guilty conscience, using the Bible itself to try to live and be as holy as he could be, and was tyrannized by the guilt of his own conscience. And God took one verse and changed that man forever and used him to birth the Protestant Reformation. The just shall live by faith. One verse. I met a guy at our previous church. He gave me his testimony how he got saved. I said, he said, I picked up the Bible and read Proverbs chapter 7 about the adulterous woman. I said, of all the passages I've ever heard where somebody got to save in faith, that was not one of them. <laughs> But you know what? God used that to penetrate his darkened heart. And he said, I'm that guy. I'm, a, I'm the male version of that. And God saved him. You see, there's power. They used to say years ago, I don't, I'm not up with this anymore, but the American Express card, they'd say there was a phrase. Greg, you remember this. I'm not going to pick on you and Scott. Scott, you and Greg both remember this. What they used to say about the American Express card. Don't leave home without it. Greg, speak up. Don't try to pretend like it. <laughs> <laughs> was, ah! Boy, I'm going to talk to you after we're through. <laughs> Don't leave home without it. Matter of fact, can I, can I encourage you with something? Buy a couple of spare copies of it and keep them with you wherever you go. And when you're able to bear witness of the gospel, give somebody who you're talking to a copy of it. Keep a couple of spare, keep them in every car you got. Get a couple of spare copies of the Bible. You can get them for next to nothing. I mean, you really can. You can go to a um, family Christian bookstore and buy them for $5 a copy. And, and there's nothing wrong with them. Keep about three or four of them in your house. Extra copies in your house, in the car, wherever you are. And we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, give somebody a Bible. If they tell you they got one, now you run across people who don't have them. And they might be, but if they tell you they got one, they might not be able to find it. It's the Word of the living God. And here's what he said. Yes, so we're about, to, we're about to go into the Lord's Supper. I want to finish out this text here. We're not doing it justice. We can't. It's so precious. But look at first, look at 2 Peter. Go back there. It says here, 2 Peter. Let's go look. By the way, like we said before, I'm going to, you know what? If we come across something that's false, that's out there in Christendom, we've got a responsibility to expose it. And uh, I want you to know that uh, the charismatic movement is full of error 
And this is one of the fatal flaws of the charismatic movement. They do this all the time. They exalt experience above truth. All the time. That's characteristic of the charismatic movement. The Word of God is a postscript. It's an addendum to the theology. It's exhibit A. You might want to, it's an appendix to many, to many charismatics. The, the Word of God is an appendix. It's a little P.S. I want to consider this. That's very, very bad. It's as bad as it gets. But let me tell you something. Heresy is not innocent. Heresy hurts people. Heresy hurts people. Alright? Holy men of God. I love the picture of this painting. So I just want to share it with you before we leave. Spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know what the picture of that is? First of all, when it says they were moved, it means this. They were carried beyond themselves. <laughs> they were carried into a transcendent, holy God who's not bound by time or uh, circumstances. And they were hurled up in the transcendent realm and they were carried beyond themselves. That's what that means. And it says, look at this, and it says that they, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's what the picture of that is. It's the same word that you would use to talk about a wind that catches hold of a sailing ship and takes those sails which are limp and goes and just fills them full of air and takes along and moves them on the course that you would have it go. That's what that, that's what that word means. They were, their sails were filled with the Holy Spirit and He moved them at breakneck speed where He wanted them to go to write the Bible. Oh, isn't that cool? That's the Apostle Paul. He used that same word in Acts to talk about a ship sailing. And, and the same word that's translated from him. So he went, like that. And the Holy Spirit, and just blew the word into the heart of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and, and, uh, and all the prophets and, and all the gospel writers. Because see, God the Father planned salvation. God the Son purchased it. And God the Holy Spirit makes it known through the Scriptures. And so we have the prophetic word. Dear ones, dear ones, dear ones, do not neglect it. Do not neglect it. Don't, don't be apathetic toward it. Don't worship it. But yes, worship the Lord it points us to. Don't let your feelings dictate your direction. Let the objective truth of the Word of God dictate it. If, if what you feel or what you sense doesn't line up with this, go with this. And, and like Sonia said a while ago, and there's nothing but blessing from that. That's it. Nothing but blessing. Endure the scorn, criticism of others. Again, if they insult our faith, then let them insult this side. And get it all done with and over with and then tell them about the love of Christ. Express the love of Christ. But this is the Word of God. And every Word of God is pure. And He is a shield to those who trust in Him. Proverbs 35. That word prove, that word means tested, proven, real, true. We have it. We have it. And what does He do? But warn, when he's getting to the point in chapter 2, we'll go over it, God willing, where he's going to warn them about the false teachers that will come among them. It is totally the mind of God 
to first inform them of their weapon against them. And that's this. That's this. We have the more sure word. Isn't that wonderful? I ask you a question. Do you know Him? It might be time to just think that our disposition toward the Gospel and its power might have something to do with the fact that we've never experienced it. Or it could be that we've experienced the Gospel and we're saved, but the fires need to be stoked. You know what? We have a weekly opportunity for God to stoke the fires. You know what it's called? The Lord's Supper. I remember last camping trip... I don't know how to make a fire. And Thomas went up there and took some twigs and what have you. Before we had it, before you knew it, Thomas had us an inferno. That was enough to burn Chicago. We've been out there trying for 30 minutes you know, to light up wet wood. And Thomas goes over there and just, I mean, just does a terrific job. Get the fire started before we know it. There we are. And Scott over there helping out. You know, he came over and saw that. And I, I just pretended like I didn't know what I was doing. But, um, but um, we're, we're fixing to stove the fire of romantic love between us and our Father in the Lord's Supper. I don't know better than what another way to do it as we take the symbolic body and blood of Jesus Christ that was offered up to purchase me and you and freely redeem us and forgive us and make us free. Amen. Have you ever experienced that? That means you have the relationship. You've got to have the relationship before you take this, this uh, cup. But could it be that our indifference toward the gospel is that we've just kind of let things go cold and we need to stoke the fire? Could it be that we're walking by the burning bushes because we're caught up with lesser things and we need to repent? Could it be that the fellowship has grown cold? God wants it restored. He'll do it that quick. He'll do it that quick through repentance. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life? You're holding bitterness or ill will toward another believer or somebody else you just won't let go of it and in not letting go of it, it's consumed you. When you have unforgiveness towards somebody else that you're not repent, willing to repent of, it's like taking poison and waiting for them to die. It'll kill you. And the Lord's Supper is a wonderful time to deal with that. We can't call him the Prince of Peace. We don't try to live in peace with all men. Whatever it may be, let's take a moment. If you've never repented of your sins and put faith in Jesus Christ, we're so grateful that the sailor's done that. that was a, we did, aren't you all grateful for that? Does that just put some kind of... You just want, you just, I just want to run around the building and shout and spike a hymn. Uh, so uh, thank God for that. Amen. That's everything that we pray for and everything mom and dad have been praying for. What else matters? If you've never repented of your sins and put faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to talk to somebody about that this morning, we'll open up the Bible. We'll go in one of these rooms here. We'll verse by verse in the Bible show you God's plan of salvation, His way of salvation through His Son, and count our privilege to do so. But if you have the relationship, ask Jesus whether or not the fellowship's there or not. If the fellowship's not there, pass by the cup until that's fixed. But if, you're not, if you don't want to repent, if, you, if you're willing to repent and get that fixed, enjoy this table as an act of worship for God who purchased your right to sit there. Amen. In a moment, Brian's going to come up and lead us. I'm going to pray and the guys are going to come and we're going to serve.